Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. Uh, today, we are going to talk about a uh, topic that I think is pretty interesting um, and relevant for primary care in multiple different facets. But before we do that, we're going to hit up the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox, primarycarepod at gmail.com. You know the email if you want to send us any. Uh, any feedback, uh, any tips, any tricks, any articles, any topics you want us to review, or if you have a joke for us, um, today actually is a joke that's coming to us from my sister, who's a clinical pharmacist who helped me out uh, with our last episode. You know, because all of you, I'm sure, listened to it in its entirety. Uh, that was the topical NSAID guideline change. Um, so anyways, uh, thank you for the, uh, the joke that she sent me. Um, so the question is, what's another name for eye drops? What's another name for eye drops? The answer, blinker fluid. I love it. I love it. Let's start the episode. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients. It should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, pod girls, pod boys, pod listeners. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Primary Care Pod. Uh, I am, of course, uh, your your best friend, uh, your favorite podcasting host, uh, your uh, your secret frenemy, uh, Dr. Mark List. Uh, today episode, we're going to talk about um, a little bit of a different topic than what we normally go on, um, but we're going to talk a little bit about vitamin B7, biotin supplementation, and I want to I want to pull this back and talk about, well, why are we talking about biotin? So there's a recent study, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But in general, biotin is a, a pretty benign, non-clinical vitamin, right? But it's found in lots of different things. So what does vitamin do in the human body? Well, a laundry list of random things, right? Uh, so it's involved in a bunch of different metabolic processes. It's uh, associated with uh, hair thinning when you have deficiency hair thinning, uh, brittle nails, um, skin dryness. It's primarily association um, is the metabolic it, it, the metabolic processes for utilization of fats and carbohydrates. So when we talk about why is this a, an appropriate topic for primary care, uh, biotin is is not usually something that's a, a high deficiency for people that are women especially that are having hair thinning or brittle nails you could certainly recommend uh, taking a multivitamin with your daily allotted vitamin uh, vitamin b7 um, and so biotin right um, when we talk about biotin what's the what's the recommended dose for that um, and and the recommended dose is actually only 0.03 milligrams or 30 micrograms okay so it's important to know a couple of things about why then is biotin a topic conversation today because I don't really pay much about uh, pay much attention to biotin I don't think most people do um, aside from yeah it can if you have a low biotin if you have bad nutritional deficiencies uh, you can have some hair and nail changes but I think that the topic that I wanted to bring up today was really about let's go back to 2017 because that's where this all started when it came to uh, the topic of not necessarily biotin, but biotin supplementation. Okay, so when people take these super strengths of vitamins, most of the time, the only thing that happens is when you take a bunch of water-soluble vitamins, your urine becomes more expensive. 
because you know you get your maximum uh, daily allotment, you replace your deficiencies, um, you, you take what you need, and then and pretty much everything else just goes straight out into the urn. Yeah, you might have increased your stores a little bit, but after you kind of cap um, some of your 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 basically dose requirements, you don't get a ton of value, right? This is what we get into with why why for a general population taking multivitamins isn't necessarily associated with any major health benefits, mortality benefits, because in general, unless there's a really uh, huge deficiency or unless there's a really clinical deficiency, there's very little evidence that just general multivitamin use is helpful. So, and biotin is really common in lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, lots of foods. So it's not necessarily something that uh, an average person is deficient in, right? But in 2017, the FDA said that there's an increase in adverse events and one death tied to inaccurate lab tests, inaccurate lab results, due to interference of over-supplementation of vitamin B7. So I don't know if you could hear my kids walking in the background or not, but uh, when, so anyways, let's talk about uh, let's talk about why people take high levels of biotin. Well, a lot of women, especially older women, um, they end up uh, saying that, you know, well, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, my, my hair is thinning out, my nails are changing, my skin is getting dry and thin. Therefore, you know, I read on the internet, I read this blog, I saw this social media influencer, I, I, I read this, this article that said that maybe I'm low on, on biotin. So then they take high doses of biotin. And it's important to realize that the dose matters here because your recommended daily intake is 30 micrograms, 0.03 milligrams, as we talked about earlier. And if you look at your multivitamins, and I looked at a multivitamin that we have in our uh, up in our cabinet up there, um, you know, it was like 17 micrograms, so about 50% of your daily value. Okay, so this is not this this doesn't apply to everybody, but when especially women, but in people in general, take these super doses of vitamin Bs right? These super strength and, you know, you get a thousand times your daily value of vitamin B. Um, in this, in some of these FDA articles, they talk about how some people will take up to 100 milligrams per day. And again, remember the recommended daily dose is 0.03 milligrams. And what kind of toxicity does that do? Well, not much. It, it really doesn't do much to the human body. Again, once you get to a certain level, you basically just pee it out and you have expensive urine. But interestingly, what it does is the high level of serum biotin if you get to a, a above the quote you know normal human values it affects certain proteins and immunoassays and specifically this can be tied to f falsely low tests when it comes to troponins which is a pretty important test okay and more popularly TSHs, T3s, and T4s. So I want to, again, I want to take a step back. These people, the, the more likely, um, the people who are more likely to be taking these supplementations, these super strength B12, B7s for biotin for their hair, for their nails, for their skin, end up being the same type of women and same type of patients, sorry, not just women, but patients who think that there might be a thyroid disorder. And so their B7 supplementation could be falsely giving you a, a, a false TSA assay, a false T4, a false T3, or a false 
hopefully not troponin. But in this case, the, the one death that was led to because the troponins were missed because of the high B7 supplementation in this FDA report from 2017. So let's take it back to August 11th, 2020. Okay, just 15 days ago, or sorry, 18 days ago, math is hard. Um, this was a study uh, in JAMA. Okay, and so uh, you can find it online. Uh, the, the sources, hold on, um, it's loading right now. This is from the JAMA network at, uh, at the JAMA network.com. It's trends in daily use of biotin supplements among U.S. adults. And they basically look at uh, the trends from 1999 till 2016. And when you look at this study, they looked at the, the percentages of people okay, who were taking greater than one gram of biotin supplements per day. One gram. Okay, that's massive. Okay, and because this one gram dosages are common in some very specific vitamins that are that are uh, tailored to women, are tailored to hair and nail supplements. If you're a listener and you're and you do take one of those, uh, whether it be prenatals or multivitamins or vitamin B complexes or hair and nail vitamin um, supplements, you might just be curious to look at your B7 values. Because the the people that were taking greater than one gram a day in 1999 was only 0.1% of the U.S. population. But by the end of the 18-year study in this JAMA review, okay, almost 3% of the U.S. population, or the general population, according to this FDA study, the U.S. National Health Nutrition Survey, okay, said that almost 3% of the population was taking greater than one gram per day of biotin. Now, are people going to be seeing negative effects on their health? No, that's 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 the interesting thing about, you know, a lot of B vitamins are you get above your recommended maximum value per day. And sure, you can increase your stores a little bit, but most of that just gets peed out, right? It's water soluble and just goes straight out through the kidneys. Um, so, so people aren't going to be having negative effects. They're going to think that it's helping them because, again, there's a lot of placebo value to a lot of vitamins, okay? Not that it's wrong or unhealthy. But then when these people come to your clinic, they're going to order TSHs, they're going to order T3s, C4s. And again, um, these oftentimes tend to be people who are taking these over vitamin supplements might be suffering from symptoms that could be hypothyroidism and that have a falsely negative thyroid testing. Okay? In, they looked at greater than five grams per day, greater than five grams per day. Again, five grams compared to the daily recommended intake of 30 micrograms. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot of B7. But again, some of these over-the-counter supplements just have max doses, just incredibly high doses of biotin that mostly don't even get absorbed. But when they do, you get, you get high levels of biotin. And so 0.7% of the U.S. population, so about four times less, were above five grams per day. Okay. And we're not even talking just about like, you know, doubling your daily recommended dose. We're not even talking about people that are just taking a hundred micrograms, three times your recommended dose. We're talking about a huge factor of, of exponential amount more than what's the daily recommended value. And of women older than age 60, 7.4% were greater than one gram per day. Again, these are usually women that are postmenopausal, metabolism slowing down, 
have experienced hail, hair, hail, <laughs> hair and nail and skin changes as a normal process of aging, read these, you know, influencers, these blogs, these articles, go to the supplement place, buy these supplements, and they take these supplements for their hair and nail and skin changes because they're told it will help them. And they keep taking them greater than one gram per day. 2.3% of women over the 60 were taking five grams per day in this study. And it's going to affect, it is absolutely going to affect their TSH values. So if you have somebody who has hypothyroidism, somebody who has hyperthyroidism, somebody who wonders if they have thyroid symptoms, take them off their biotin supplements. Tell them no multivitamins, no biotin, no nothing. And then we'll check your labs. So maybe some of these people, and again, I made some comments. I talked about subclinical hypothyroidism in the past. It's going to be another topic coming up in the future. I've got a good article on, on, on again, talking about subclinical hypothyroidism treatment. And in that, in those articles, it basically says you can ignore treating subclinical hypothyroidism because there's really no clinical benefit to people because most people get better and don't go to overt hypothyroidism. And so then you can avoid adding the medication. You can avoid adding, you know, lab testing for the rest of their life. And so again, you can practice less medicine is oftentimes better medicine for patients. In this case, what I'm telling you is a lot of these women who come into your clinic who say, I think my thyroid is off. I think my thyroid is off. Again, I, I hear uh, this is a very, very common complaint, especially post age 40, post age 50, post age 60. Again, women more than men, but in both. And if people are taking biotin supplements, your labs might be garbage. And in your hypothyroidism patients, when you're trying to measure their TSH and you're trying to measure their, their, their labs to see if you're treating them appropriately, you might be having a really weird picture and people might be complaining this dose is not high enough and their TSH is 0.6. And it might just because they're taking a gram of biotin a day and messing with your labs. So um, this was this article was really practice changing for me because it's really going to reassess, re, it's going to change how I have a conversation with somebody when they come in for these discussions and maybe getting them off of all their supplements and then letting them wash out for a couple of weeks before I, or even a month or so before I run this thyroid test. And maybe it's going to have me revisit some of these patients who said, I think I have a thyroid issue. I checked their labs. They're completely normal, um, but they're on a billion supplements. So maybe that will make me kind of reassess my overall process, how I deal with hypothyroidism. So hopefully it helps you to reassess maybe why we're missing some cases of actual hypothyroidism and maybe why our lab tests aren't necessarily as accurate as they should be based on patient symptoms. Or maybe patients just have vague, uncomfortable symptoms that actually aren't hypothyroidism like we talked about before. But again, we won't know if we have bad tests. So try to eliminate the the crazy supplement usage on these people. I mean, again, it's 3% of your population, 3% of your average patients. So you're going to be seeing at least one person per week that's on super crazy high doses of vitamins, which we all see. Um, and so again, uh, this is something I think is really relevant for primary care. Hopefully it was helpful to you and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in this week. A reminder, you don't have to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks for tuning in this week uh, and I'll see you next week. Thanks guys.